Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. thankful for time we get to spend together. Amen. Let's turn, if you will, with me in the book of Ephesians chapter 5. Amen. The book that we have open before us tonight seems at times um, overwhelming. The information, the power of the word to touch our hearts and lives. And so let's just try to slice off something this evening, perhaps not new, but something that we can take home with us. Let's also remember to pray for our Bible quizzers. On Wednesday night, they are slipping out and they're practicing for our upcoming uh, Bible quiz year. And so let's just ask God to touch them. And I'm very thankful for the, the adults that are helping with this and thankful for the children that are participating in this. Let's pray that God will touch them and anoint their minds. Amen. The book of Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number 8. The Bible says, For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye, the, are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. And have no fellowship with unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things are, but all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light, for whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. I just want to choose for a subject this evening walking in the light. And uh, let's pray that the Lord would just let his word settle into our heart. Amen. I love the Lord and I love his word. Thank you today, God. And I ask you to let your presence touch us. And I ask you tonight, God, that you would strengthen every weary soul that is in this building. And I pray, God, that your holy word will just be infused into our lives. And that we indeed can understand the power and the benefit of your spirit and presence to shine and to be the light that we need to be. In Jesus' name, amen. And you can be seated. What a powerful, powerful text. I believe that, of course, there are passages of Scripture that challenges the very core of who we are as individuals. I'm thankful for the Word of God. And um, there are times it's, it's just amazing to me how that you can read the Word of the Lord and just something that you've read countless times perhaps a very, very familiar passage of Scripture. And the Lord just kind of unveils a little nugget of truth there that we've never been able to see. Or maybe someone is speaking or you're reading a book and, and somebody else just mentions something about a Scripture from a different angle. I'm not talking about some weird spin, but just 
you just see it from a little bit different light and it catches the light differently and challenges our heart and it changes us. And I'm thankful for the passages of scripture that are instructional and they help us and uh, they help us to become and to evolve into what the Lord would have us to be. I'm thankful for the convicting power of the word of God. Amen. I really mean that for the Lord to speak to our heart, to, to prick our heart. The Bible says in Acts 2 and 37, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. And I'm thankful for the, the ability of God's word to prick our heart and to touch our conscience and to, to, uh, to draw us into a place closer to him. And the, the, the scriptures and the word and the moments of his word that convict us to the very core of our being that challenges us to become what God truly wants us to be. I believe that we should never be able to read the God, word of God without on some level being challenged by that. Amen. To let the spirit of God move us. And I, I'm not talking about, please understand me, engaging in just uh, a mere academic study of the word of God. Because I can tell you that if you sit down and, and you just... Uh, I heard Brother Joe Osborne say one time, if you just are trying to get a thought and you think you're going to look under M for message, it's going to be a long journey. <laughs> it's going to be a long journey because that's not quite how it works. It's not an index card. And, and um, so I'm not talking about just an academic approach to the Word of God that I'm going to turn here and though it's a manual and we're just going to try to find something to fix the situation. And I hope that that even when we are reading through the, the Bible on an annual basis, whatever, whatever means you may use to do that, I hope that we're not just merely reading that to fulfill an obligation or to meet some annual commitment that we have made and try to rush through that and check it off of our list of things to do for the day. But I want to let the Word of God impact my life. Now, I get it that we all live in the real world, and sometimes we are reading the Word of God, and our minds are somewhere else, and it's okay if... You don't get up and run around and shout amen about that, but we've all been there. But there are those times that I want to just pray first. That's why I want to pray before I read the word of the Lord because I want God's word to speak to me. I don't want this to just be a, uh, an endeavor of just reading a few words, but I want to on some level be impacted by that. And maybe that's the wrong word. I understand that we're not bold over every time we open the word of God, but I believe that we can be changed and we can be challenged by that. At times we read passages and that speaks very pointedly to us because that just happens to be right where we are in our life. Someone preaches a message or just makes a moment of exhortation and it just happens to be the very longitude and the latitude of where we stand spiritually. And we think, wow, wow. We've all been in those moments or at least I think many of us have been in those moments where we felt like that that service was just for us and it may have been a general conference and these thousands and thousands of people just joined you for that service. We've all felt like that, that God just moved everybody out of the way so that he could drop a word in our heart. Amen. And so I'm, I'm thankful for those moments, but it's important to read the Lord's word systematically. It's, it's important that we can look into it and delve into it. And, and uh, I find in doing so, that I avoid the temptation to just skip passages of Scripture that challenge me and only stay in those comfortable zones where we just like that, that kind of soothes us and tells us what we want to hear. But sometimes we just need to read the Word of the Lord and apply it. You know, I've, I've often noted that 
it seems like at least that, that the better a medicine is for you, the worse it tastes. The more difficult it is to get down. I was trying to muscle down a little cup of NyQuil a few weeks ago and I, and I thought, you know, after all these years, it seemed like they could have made this a tad easier to get down because it is just as difficult today as it was the very first time that I think I ever took it. Amen. So we, we need the word of the Lord and sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes there are passages and there are places in the word of God that, cha- that, that, that really do challenge who we are and kind of goes against the grain of who we are. But I want the word of God to touch me because it's going to help me become what he is desiring me to become. I believe the key verse of this passage this evening would certainly be verse number 8. Because it says, for ye some, you were sometimes darkness, but now are you the light in the Lord. And so then the challenge now is to walk as children of light. It seems like a nice verse if we just kind of extract it out and we take our little knife and just cut out that verse and post it on the refrigerator. That seems like a pretty cool verse. But if we look at that verse in context of all the verses around it, it is defined by the very verses that lead up to it and the verses that follow it. And therein is the challenge. Because it's in the verses that contrast before and after that living in darkness and now we are light. There are things above and things beneath it that help bring that, kind of emboss that, so to speak. And we are called to forsake the ways of darkness and to walk in the light. And here is a very... Uh, I think a truth that we should all understand that if we don't walk in the light that we already have, we're not going to receive any more light. We've got to walk in what we already know. And sometimes we are frustrated by what we don't know and what we don't understand. But I've got to continue to walk in what I do know. And I've got to build my life around what I already know. And it's walking in the light that leads me to more light. Because living for God is not... It's not just an agreement with a religious creed. I've not just linked arms with just a body of people and I've not just made a commitment as though I've just signed my name to a role, but it is a commitment to him. I am committed to you, of course, and you are committed to me and we are committed to one another in the body of Christ. But we didn't just sign our name on a role. This is not something we're doing at 7.30 tonight and we're going to kind of taper this off at 9 and we're going to be somewhere else and doing something else. But I believe that we were this morning when we woke up what we are right now. Please don't disrupt my dream here. Amen. I believe that we're going to go to bed tonight what we are right now, the core of who we are, our beliefs, the foundation of which we stand The principles that guide our life are not just something that come on with the lights of this sanctuary and they're going to go off with the lights of this sanctuary. But it is a commitment that I have made to him. Amen. I've made that to him. And so when I apply the standards of God's word to my life, sometimes I'm not happy with the result. I'm not altogether happy when I contrast who I am right here against what God's word says there's a, still a little bit too much darkness that's left there and I've got to continue to work on me. The book of John, chapter 8 and verse 12, the Bible says, Then spake Jesus unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. 
And so if we're going to walk after him, there's got to be something in our life that radiates beyond this moment. And so when I read passages of scripture like that, I am reminded how important my lifestyle is. I'm reminded how important it is what others think of me. Amen. Not your reputation, but your character, who you really are. Because being filled with his spirit should make a distinct difference in our life. What we were should not be what we are. Repentance and water baptism and being filled with the Spirit of God, that should turn something in our life. It should change something about us. I'm not talking about a temporary or even a superficial change, but really change, really something inside of us that our thoughts are not what they used to be. Our language is not what it used to be. The, the way that we conduct ourselves, that's not how it is today because we've been changed by the presence of God. We are set in a new direction and the lifestyle that we live is a reflection of what the Lord has done in our lives. As a matter of fact, one of the most powerful, I believe, one of the most powerful witness and tools that we possess is the change that God brought about in our lives. And that I'm not talking about a change 40 years ago. I'm talking about the everyday change that God brings in our life. You know, uh, there was a day in the, in the not-so-distant past when you were witnessing to someone or in a Bible study with someone that basically if you just could show someone in Scripture the error of their way or if you could just show someone in Scripture the validity of doing something a different way that more than half the battle was won. Amen. That alone would be enough to convince them that they needed change in their life because you could open the word of God and you could say, thus saith the word of the Lord, that this is, this is what we ought to do. This is how we ought to live. But we're living in a day where the word of God and the validity of the word of God is under such attack. I know it was mentioned shortly after our men's conference, but... I believe it was Brother Morgan that mentioned uh, the article that he, that, that he had read about the five books that were no longer necessarily necessary to be read. And among those five books was the Word of God. And so that is the generation that is growing up today. And so it's not my point is that it's not necessarily now enough that you can turn, to, because this book is just an antiquated, outdated book. Um, a, a pile of garbly gook of words to, to a generation that is coming along today. Amen. And, and we're, we're not, uh, this is not your father's Oldsmobile. Anybody remember that? <laughs> hey, this is not your father's Oldsmobile. This is not the world of our forefathers. We're living in a completely different age. Now, I'm not at all trying to project that we could be above the word of God, but my point is this that what we may fail in trying to convince somebody of just through look, merely looking into the Word of God, maybe they haven't been taught to respect the Word of God or they haven't been taught to believe the Word of God. I believe that I'm talking to many people that were taught that not only did you believe the Word of God, but you had so much respect for the Bible that you didn't even mistreat the book. I'm, I'm not way too far out here, Emma, that it would almost be akin to 
you would treat this Bible like you would treat the American flag. It would be it would be handled with reference. You wouldn't just toss that over in the corner. You wouldn't just throw that on the floor. It wouldn't just be handled in any old sense or any old fashion. You treated the book with respect because in it were the words of life and it was the words of truth you appreciated. And because of the content of the book, he had such an appreciation for the book itself and we lived in accordance with the book. So we're living in a day where, where the validity, the very validity of God's word is, is under scrutiny and it's under question. And so if we are facing that, then how can we convince someone of God's ability to change their life if we can't just win that big portion of the battle by showing them? I believe that I believe the greatest tool that we have outside of the word of God is what God has done in our own life. Amen. We should walk as children of light. Somebody's watching every day how we live, how we respond, what we do, what we say. We can embrace that. We can deny that, but it will not change the truth of that. They're watching how we respond under pressure. They're watching how we respond under life's crushing blows at times. They're watching exactly what we do. I believe our neighbors watch us when we leave for the, for the house of God on Sunday and Wednesday. Amen. Well, there they go again. There they go again. Amen. I believe that, that somebody's watching our lives. And so I, I, I believe that there's very few things beyond God's word that could be more convincing than a life lived before people that has changed, unprecedented change. There's just something different. Amen. And so we have to ask ourselves, what do people see when they look at us. And, and, and uh, what they see today should not be what they have seen in the past, but through the power of God, there should be something that is, that is transitioning and changing in our lives. And again, I'm not talking about an initial change, but a constant change. I hope that we are further down the road than we have ever been. In the scriptures that preceded our text this evening, we find a fairly dirty laundry list of things that Paul points out <coughs> Excuse me, and then, and then Paul says, "Let these things not be named among you one time. Don't be guilty of this one time. Don't let that even be named among you one time." There are many, many Bibles that list the things in these preceding verses as works of darkness. And the problem is that the things that are listed in those passages of Scripture have become uh, to be called acceptable behavior in the hour that we're living in. Amen. It's a very dark and dingy things that Paul is talking about in those passages of Scripture. And, and, and today we're looking at a world that just embraces this as norm. What God considers horrible and deplorable is slowly being accepted as just normal behavior in the world that we are living in today. Several are mentioned. We're, uh, he talks about immorality and impurity and greed and filthiness. And, and these are things that characterize people that are walking in darkness, but they should not characterize the church in any fashion. There's so no doubt, no doubt, that immorality is being upheld in our society today. You don't have to shop very hard. You don't have to look very far to understand that immorality is upheld as the norm. Television programs are filled with immorality. Magazines are filled with immorality. You don't have to look very far. And I'm, I'm, I'm just a few days ago, my wife and I received a magazine in the mail 
And it was, it was just unbelievable what was in the magazine. And it was an everyday common magazine. And we were just shocked. And we didn't, we didn't order it. I think they were just sending it in hopes that um, it was a, a marketing tactic of some sort. And we were just shocked. If this is what any average person in America could just pick up, young or old, and that's being upheld as the norm. This is the standard. And so how many programs do you know of that promote faithfulness in, in relationships, in families, and in homes? Perhaps there are some, but the general bent is that that, that is a lifestyle that is not normal. That is a lifestyle that, and so all this becomes acceptable behavior, things that were once considered perverted, things that were once considered as taboo, things that were once considered as off of the grid, now completely accepted. And when you and I attempt to live a life of morality, people look at us like we are strange. I mean, what's wrong for covering up? What's wrong for being nice? What's wrong for for not using crude language? What what would be wrong with all of that? Amen. And so we understand this 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 dark world that we live in. We're not denying that, but we have a tremendous opportunity to show the world a different way of life. Amen. By the change that God has brought about in us, His Spirit. We're not better than anybody. Please understand that. And I think you understand and agree with that. We're not better than anybody, but I'm thankful for what the blood of Jesus Christ has done in my life. I'm thankful for an awareness. Amen. The Scripture, the scripture uses the word uncleanness. And this refers to obviously things that are unclean or things that are filthy. And, and, and what may be in view here in scripture is is our thought life amen not just what you do with your hands or your feet but it's our thought life immoral thoughts that is a form of impurity itself paul talked about the the spirit of covetousness and 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 the desire to have that kind of sounds innocent if we just again pull that one word out and i think certainly paul is not speaking against someone that is trying to better themselves, but the spirit of covetousness, the desire to have, and the, the, the critical thing about being having a, uh, a coveting spirit is that covetousness is a spirit that cannot be satisfied. You can't quench the thirst of coveting, and that seems to be the attitude of our society. Two and a half years ago, or thereabouts, somewhere along there, I bought a, a different truck. And, um, and and six months after I bought it, I got a call from the dealership asking me if I was about ready to trade that thing in. I was like, what? I mean, we just got planed out here. I mean, we just got, are you just about ready? And I and, and I, I, I said, you know, I'm, I thank you for the call, but no, I'm happy, everything's all right. But I just wondered how that speaks to the society that we live in. You're about ready to, get rid of that old thing. He had no idea that I had the other truck 17 years. He didn't know who he was talking to. <laughs> the day that I drove off the salesman that day, he said, goodbye, Mr. Boyd. We'll see you in 17 years. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. But that just seems to be, I understand some people trade more than often than I do, and that's, that's not, certainly nothing wrong with that. But you get the point that in six months, I mean, you, you surely you got to be ready to, to dump this old ride and get something else. And, and, uh, but we live in an hour where there is no satisfying this. There's no such thing as satisfying. It's just more and more and more and more. Amen. And so I ask God, help me to be 
Help me to be, Paul said, content. Let there be a spirit within me that I can be content. Uh, I, I'm, I'm here. I would like to better myself and be different in some areas. But until such time, help me to be content in whatever state that I'm in. Amen. We live in an hour of so much greed, and greed is not good. In fact, it is the opposite of God. It is, it is the opposite of what God is all about because greed takes and God gives. Greed steals and God places it back. Paul also deals with the area of our speech, and he lists things like foolishness and, and filthiness and or foolish filthiness and, and foolish talk. Now, again, I don't think that he is. Uh, trying to speak against someone having a sense of humor or anything of that nature, but we are living in a in a society of such filth. Amen. And I I get that I have the privilege to to most of the time deal with people that and 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 live in a world that is a little bit. I'm extracted from that a little bit. But I know some of you work on, on, in, in places and in environments where your ears are probably bleeding by the end of the day. Such filth. And it doesn't just come from men. And it doesn't just come from adults. Just such filth. I'm thankful for great examples that I have had in my life. I, I, there was a I was telling my wife this yesterday. I I was in Lowe's a couple of days ago, and there's a there's a man in Lowe's in Lake City, and there was a there is a man that that I have that works there. That it just no matter any time you go there and ask him a question, you're always gonna. He's just he has so much knowledge, and he and so he was telling me a few things the other day and showing me some things. That, well, just kind of it was just kind of neat, and so I told him I said, you know. I don't want to make you uncomfortable, but I just I enjoy every time that I get a chance to talk to you because you always you always teach me something. He says, "Well, the reason I'm able to do that," he says, "because I was raised by adults." <laughs> I had to let that marinate just a moment. He said, "I was just raised by adults." And so he wasn't being boastful at all. He was just being very practical. And, and what I'm about to share with you, he wasn't being critical at all. I don't want, I, I'm not sure how things are translated when you repeat them. He said, my wife, and he named what degree of education she had. He said, my wife has all these degrees. And he said, she's constantly asking me questions. And he said, it's because, and I said, and I said Dude, what are you attributing this? And he said, because she was just raised on her own. And whatever she knows, she only knows from a book. But I had the privilege to be raised by adults. So he wasn't being critical. He was just making a practical point. And so my point in that is that we need someone to... People need someone in their life that can just live before them to be an example. Not to just try to look in this book and try to find how we ought to live. We ought to be able to look in this book and find a scripture or a passage or a topic 
or a subject and then be able to find people that live that out in their lives and implement that and pull that into their lives. I'm thankful for examples and people that didn't just point the way, but they took me by the hand and they helped me find the way. Amen. To walk in the light. Amen. I'm so thankful for the power of the Lord to teach us and the Spirit of God to teach us. But how many mentors have we had in our lives? I know that if we think about that word that perhaps only a few names come to the surface who have truly impacted your life to some degree on some level. But I wonder how many people all throughout our lives, Sunday school teachers, and maybe they only taught us just one or two times or a few times or quarters, and, and, and we don't think about that they were shaping and molding, they were teaching, and it was how they were doing and what they were doing that was helping us in forming some principles in our life and forming the character of our life. And so I say, God, help us that we would not fail the generation that is following us. I was speaking with Elder uh, Brother Gibson last night and, and uh, you know, I, I think it's very difficult for all of us on some level to realize that somebody may look at us and, uh, and, and feel like that we have something that we could give them or something that we could uh, help them with. And, and, uh, and I, I told Brother Gibson we were talking about uh, just days gone by and, and when you were just, just excited to be in the very presence of an elder, uh, perhaps, and you didn't need them to even make eye contact with you. you just, you could just be at the same table and just hear them talk and share their stories. And, and it just puts something in you. It just helped you want to become more of that. And so there is someone, even though we may not view ourselves that way, there's somebody that just desires to hear your voice. They just desire that they're going to watch you walk. And there's something about, there's something about how you conduct your life. It's going to, it's going to help them to learn how to walk more in the life of the Lord themselves. Amen. I'm thankful for the Spirit of God, aren't you? Amen. The verdict of God, the verdict, the end, the Spirit of the Lord to press, to pull us, to, amen, to make us what he would have us to be. Amen. I believe that, 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 that God's Word is ultimately, obviously, and ultimately going to judge sin. But the clear teaching of the Word of God is so contrary to the thinking of the world. And so we need godly examples. We need men and women that understand the power of walking in the light. Because God is going to judge sin. He absolutely is going to judge sin. Amen. And the deeds of darkness, those things are going to be brought to light. That's what the Scripture said. The light describes and should describe who we are now, not what we have been. Beginning in the seventh verse of Ephesians 5, there's a stark contrast that is drawn. It's a contrast to the old way of life versus the new way of life. It is a contrast between light and darkness. It's the, the contrast of evil versus good, or sin versus righteousness, or deception versus truth. It is the contrast of doing my own will versus doing God's own will. The way of darkness is the opposite, of course, of the way of light. And the deeds of darkness ensnare us and then they enslave us. And that's why we are told that we should not be partakers of these deeds. He said, don't even let it be named among you one time. The deeds are unfruitful. And so if we play around with sin, we become sin, a slave to sin. And we sacrifice our lives to the sin of this world. Because sin always demands a sacrifice. And we are that sacrifice. Amen. I, I hope 
I don't sound out of the way, but my wife and I were sitting in a traffic light the other the other day, and I was just watching somebody, and, and they were they were smoking a cigarette, and I told my wife, I said, I'm so thankful not to be bound. I'm not being critical, I'm not being judgmental, just so thankful not to be, because see, sin always demands a sacrifice, and humanity becomes that sacrifice. I know what the billboards and the, and the, the magazine articles all portray of the Marlboro Man and, and things of that nature and how, how the, the, the beer and the liquor can all be portrayed in such a positive light. But you see, I've just walked into one too many hospital rooms. I've stood at the graveside and the bedside of just one too many un- people to not understand that, that sin always demands a sacrifice and humanity is that sacrifice and so if we do not as Ephesians says we should not even give place to the devil there's just no room in our lives for that when something gets in the house that shouldn't belong there we got to deal with that right then whether it's some kind of a bug or some kind of uh, a few years ago we had a, a snake that got in our house I thought we was going to sell the house Burn it down at a minimum. Start over. It doesn't belong there. We've got to do something about that. You can't get around to those kind of things. You can't just say, well, we'll, well you know, next Tuesday, if we got time, we'll look into that. You've got to stop whatever you're doing, and you've got to take. And so he said, don't even give place to the devil. There are some thoughts that shouldn't even linger in our mind. Don't give place to the devil. There are some things that shouldn't even be in our home. Don't give place to the devil. Some things that shouldn't be in our marriage. Don't give place to the devil. Some things that shouldn't be in our children's life. Don't give place to the devil we can't take this seriously enough we've got to deal with this right now deal with this right now amen Uh, some years ago pardon the personal stories but some years ago I have had a few bouts with kidney stones and I was in the emergency room with a kidney stone and and if you've ever had a kidney stone you know that's a pretty serious thing and I was in agony and the doctor walked in and he noticed a spot on my side and he said, he said, right now we can't deal with a kidney stone because we need to deal with this. I'm thinking, <laughs> what in the world could this be if it is taking precedence over what I'm going through right now? He said, I think you may have shingles. Turned out that I didn't. But the point is, is that what seems so serious, he was kind of cavalier about it. Because we got to take care of something else. And so there are some things in our life that no matter how pressing something else may seem, we are children of the light. We're called to walk in the light. Not just on Sunday, not just on Wednesday, not when it's convenient, not when it feels good, but we are children of the light. And so when, whenever the enemy comes in and tries to plant something, I gotta deal with that. We gotta deal with that now. And he doesn't need much opportunity. The devil doesn't need much opportunity. Just a small foothold, just a little bit of time here and a little bit of time there. And after a while, he has your time. Amen. So I say, God, help us to be children of the light and to walk in the light. Everybody all right? Praise God. And so the, in contrast, the fruit of that light should be characterized by our life. What we live, how we live, what we do rather. Amen. That fruit is the opposite of what the world has to offer. And so another characteristic of, 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 of walking after the Lord is to find what's pleasing to him and to walk in that and to do that. That means I got to submit to God's will and not just my will. 
I got to contrast that against doing my own thing versus doing what the Lord would have me to do. And that is the mark of a true believer. Amen. Because true believers don't just hear the word of God, but they obey the word of God. Amen. And so that's a, that's a passage. This passage that we're in tonight is a passage that certainly ends with a commission. It's a commission not to participate in unfruitful, unfruitful deeds of darkness. But instead, he said, you need to expose them. That's right. That's what the scripture says, that we need to expose them. Amen. We need to reprove those things. Awake thou that sleepest, he said, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. There needs to be a reproving of those things. He said that we should not have fellowship with unfruitful works of darkness in verse number 11, but he said rather we should reprove them. Praise God. We should reprove them and because light exposes what's hidden in the darkness. And so that's why sin likes darkness. And that's why, that's why darkness, why sin is always associated with darkness and why God is always associated with light. There's something that happens when you walk in with light. There should be something that happens in the room when every Holy Ghost child of God walks into that room. Something ought to change in the atmosphere. I'm not too far out here, am I? I believe that something ought to change in the atmosphere. I'm not talking about when we walk in the room, people just fall out under some spell, but something ought to change. Light ought to be present or evident in the presence of such darkness. Amen. I'm going to bring this to a close. Well, let, me, let me do so by saying this, that God knows what is in the midst of darkness. And we're only fooling ourselves if we think God doesn't see. I can hide things from you. You can hide things from me. But nothing is hidden from the Lord. Nothing. He knows even the thought and the intent of our heart. The motive. He knows what motivated us to do what we're doing even if it seems like it's a good deed on the outside. Because light exposes darkness. That's just the nature of light. Light never apologizes to darkness because light takes precedence over darkness. And so the scripture says that we are the light in the Lord. Jesus Christ himself identified himself as us as the light of the world. We are light not because we're all this or we're all that, but we're light because He's light. And He lives in us. And so as children of the light, we have to let our light so shine before men. Not that they see us, but that they see Him in us. And so we have a responsibility to walk as children of the light. And we have a responsibility not to participate in deeds of darkness. And as I said a moment ago, not only are we not to participate in that, we should expose that. Amen. In fact, Paul concludes with that plea in Ephesians 5 and 14. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. And so it's time, I believe, for the church as never before to let the light of the Lord just shine through us because we are children of the light. Amen. And we don't need to be, just belong to a church. And don't think I'm just trying to use a cliche here, but we really need to be the church. Just be the church.
there's so many pretentious people and so much fake and phony and so much artificial. The world deserves to come in contact with somebody that has a real relationship with him, a real relationship. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand. Our musicians can just stay if you would. And let's ask God to help us to be what he's called us to be. I would ask us this evening before we leave this holy place to pray and ask God to touch so many of our neighbors in this state tonight who have lost everything. I thought this afternoon as I looked at our sanctuary how thankful I am. There's fancier buildings, there's bigger buildings, there's nicer this and nicer that, but I'm so thankful that we had a place that we could come tonight and we can worship him. And, and uh, you know, you're, you're keeping up with this, I'm sure, but they're talking weeks, maybe months in some cases before electric can be restored. A year ago, some of us were out of power for several days, and we know how trying that was getting. So we can just only imagine. I guess maybe we can't even imagine. Let's just pray and ask God to touch these congregations. And and I don't know how. I'm not going to try to tell you how to pray, but we need God to help these churches stay together. I don't know how to even put in words how I feel. But there just needs to be a cohesiveness to come to these congregations and realize that we just need to stay together and let the power of the Lord touch them. Amen. God will see them through this. We know that. But let's pray for our government leaders and for people that are involved and our responders and just ask God to touch them. Amen. I don't know. Thank you for your offering. We're going to be able to send a a couple of thousand dollars in this offering to that, and thank you for giving. You're more than welcome to continue to give in person or online through our website, but thank you for your offering on Sunday. But let's continue to, to, to realize that, that no matter what we do, amen, it, it, it's going to take everything everybody can do to help pull together and to bring normalcy of some sort. Amen. I, I spoke with Brother Alan Crabtree this afternoon on the phone, and Let's just pray and ask God to touch these churches and their families and they need the help of the Lord. Amen. God, I'm asking you today to touch us. We thank you for your word. Thank you for the privilege to be in church. We thank you for a church that we're privileged to come into tonight. And I pray tonight, God, that you would touch the citizens of... This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806. Or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.